0: Welcome to episode 219 of Energy Talks podcast. I'm energy and climate journalist Markham Hislop. On episode 148, which we posted on March 9th of uh, 2023, I interviewed Casey Peters and Peter Protopopas of U.S. solar provider Pivot Energy about why community solar should be a central piece of the decarbonization puzzle. Today, I'm going to be talking to Bruce Stewart. CEO of Perch Energy, the United States' largest community solar servicer, who's installing solar, you know, panels, solar farms in smaller, different places than you'd expect. It's not just rooftop. It's not just utility scale, and and it's a different model. And I so I want to talk to him about that and see where that's going. Welcome to the interview, Bruce.
1: Markham, thank you very much. Appreciate you having me on, and uh, look forward to uh, look forward to our conversation today.
0: Well, maybe we should start with because you your company fills a niche in the development process. You don't handle the whole thing. You do a, right. a so. Why don't you tell us about what Community Solar is and where your company plays in that in that sandbox? Yeah, you bet. So uh, Community Solar
1: is uh, first and foremost for 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 your listeners and audience to understand it's. Um, it's, regu- it's a regulatory enabled cap- capacity in, uh, in, in many of the states in the U.S. So um, a state's uh, legislature will, will enable a program to help spur the development of, of clean energy um, generation and specifically solar clean energy generation that's usually five megawatts or smaller. So they're looking for the notion of, yes, you know, in, in states there are big utility projects that take huge, large amounts of acreage usually are in far area, areas that have significant sort of cost to to bring that power generation back onto the, to the grid through transmission uh, lines. That's a fantastic way to sort of move the needle in continuing to sort of change the complexion of our underlying grid. On the other side, there's an opportunity for people to put it on the rooftop, whether you're a business and or a residential customer, and they will... Then you know engage and hire a, a party who will uh help build it for them and then connect it in and fundamentally reduce the amount of, of, of electricity they need to get from the grid by virtue of that which is produced from the from the panels on their business or residential rooftop. But in that case, they're making an investment. In that case, there's those are two big sides of the equation. One which is a big wind or solar investment, the other one's a smaller format one. Um and then the question is, there's lots of other uh, availability and lots of other communities that want to be active, right? And lots of other models to be active. And that's where we say like, wait, maybe there's a smaller smaller format size where really in this mission to sort of shift the ability for, for uh, you know, our electricity grid to be increasingly greener and greener and greener that we can actually locate um, solar developments on smaller plots that exist closer to suburban metropolitan areas, in addition to to, uh, farm properties as well, but closer to properties and connect those quite easily to the grid and build those in communities, hence community solar. And the idea would be, instead of there there being only one buyer for it, right, in the big utility where the utility would be the buyer for it, um, that's not the case. It's basically let the community subscribe to that and get the benefits of that generation and the electricity savings from that. And that gives you a chance to bring more of the community involved in it in building it.
0: I want you to address a, we'll call it a meme, uh, because I see this all the time from folks who are skeptical about renewables. And they say, I've never seen a project where solar and wind was involved, where where electricity prices went down. But from what you've just said, it sounds like with these community solar projects, that's exactly what happens. It is. So um, right to the right to right to your point, the the
1: programs themselves are designed to deliver net new green you know clean energy via solar development, right to change the grid and deliver savings. So the if you subscribe to a community solar project, you receive a credit that credit gives you a discount off of your electricity bill. That's how the program works. So state by state, they're developing those programs. We, Our partners will build these community solar farms, and then they will look to us and say, can you now go into the community, talk to activate and educate that, those, those community members about what's being built, um, how it's good for the local economy with net new jobs, but also how they can actually personally get involved, how they can subscribe and get energy savings. And that's what we do. So we basically have a community solar clean tech platform that connects consumers in local communities to these projects and fills them up with, with individual businesses, both large, small, even a municipality can be a subscriber to, to
0: individual homeowners and renters. The, um, I mean, I'm looking at it from, you know, if you came to my community, we live in a city of about 10,000 people on Vancouver Island. um, I don't see the downside. Uh, Do I, if I were a potential customer of a community solar farm, would I have to invest anything or is it I just sign up?
1: Yeah, I, it, there, the downside isn't, there, there is a downside. The idea is it's a really simple way to say, hey, listen, people ask us the question all the time. We hear People asking you might hear it in your in a social conversation amongst friends or at a dinner party or whatever the case might be. They're like, "Hey, hey listen, how can I get involved and what can I do to be able to sort of, you know, shift the change to accelerate the, the this change to a clean energy generation sort of future?" Um, and they're like, "Well, geez, I can't build a utility scale one. I and and oh, listen, I'm I'm a renter or my house doesn't face the right direction or." listen, I don't, I don't have the, dis- the disposable income or the capability to invest in putting a rooftop un- unit in. And by the way, th- that's 50% up to 70% in certain markets of so folks can't even avail themselves of rooftop. So there's a whole huge part of the population that's left off that does want to get actively involved. And that's where community solar comes in. They're like, okay, so wait, I can subscribe. Yeah, my consumption at my house is matched against that and I can get savings. It's okay, perfect. But-
0: Okay, I'm going to nail you down on this, Bruce. Yeah. Is there a subscription fee or an investment required from this? There the is subscriber? not a
1: subscription fee. There is no subscription fee. The fee is you're paying for the credits at a discount to what you'd be paying for the traditional energy. So you do pay for the credits, but you pay for them at a you know, a 5, 10, or 15, or even 20% discount to what you'd normally pay. So, But there's no fee to sign up. It doesn't cost you 5, 10, dollars dollars you don't have to put anything on your roof. This is community solar, is solar without any investment in a rooftop infrastructure.
0: Period. Okay, so basically, you're you're signing up to get a discount on your electricity bill,
1: and to support the development of that project. Yeah, yeah, in- sure. Yeah.
0: Yes, got got that. I just I took that just you know took that for granted.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah.
0: So. Okay, so I get where are some of the areas, uh, you know, like we I I mentioned schools already. Um, What other kinds of community organizations areas would you where you know are people building uh, community solar that where you have to go find customers. So um,
1: we're in, we can be in suburban markets, uh, we can be in agricultural, you know, uh, communities. Uh, and we will uh, talk to local employers. Lots of local employers are very active and interested in in taking a step themselves. Into those could be small chains. Those could be large chains. We have hospitals that are saying, "Oh, listen, that's great. I would love to be able to be a subscriber," and they'll pledge some of their some of their consumption to these projects. And that hits some of their broader ESG goals and goals to sort of decarbonize or contribute to the decarbonization of the grid. Um, our local municipalities do. We have some great examples of sometimes there's large community groups um, that are like, uh, let's call it, uh, HOAs, and you can go talk to a homeowners association and say, hey, listen, just, you know, a mile and a half up the street, we're building a community solar project, um, which you can have the ability to uh, subscribe to and generate savings. So we'll go host some events, educate them about that. You can go to apartment um, folks uh, uh, where Lots of times renters don't, don't, clearly already don't think they have an option to get some uh, savings and or to support the development, but you can, you don't have to be the homeowner. You don't have, again, have to have a roof. So for a whole bunch of folks that can't and don't, don't, uh, don't afford uh, their own home can still be subscribers.
0: Well, let's talk about farms because this, I've already mentioned Alberta and, you know, few months ago, they put on a seven month moratorium because there was pushback from rural Albertans and and locating solar farms, uh, particularly on arable land, was a big sore point. And and frankly, I you know, it was a private arrangement between the the solar developer and the farmer. So you'd think that the farmer that actually owned the land would be the one whose opinion mattered, but apparently, if his neighbor got his nose out of joint because he didn't like, you know, seeing seeing uh, solar panels on good farmland, well, then so for some reason the government thought that he should have an opinion or his opinion should count as to whether yeah. they could do that, which is a little bizarre. But if you knew Alberta, you'd understand why this is a is an ongoing problem. Um, so the question is. When you partner with farms, well, maybe tell us how you do that. How the how the project like that would would unfold? Sure. So uh, our partners
1: uh, that build, you know, hundreds of megawatts of, of, of projects go out and and talk to folks in in the community, find out who's interested and available. They'll talk to uh, to farmers uh, who might have significant swaths or even smaller swaths of land that are looking for additional income, right? Um, might be looking, they themselves are interested in the ability to be a subscriber as, as in addition to, so they're getting the discounts on savings in addition to getting rental income. Um, they may be motivated or the next generation in that household may be motivated to being part of shifting the acceleration of our generation stack to increasingly renewable sources. There's lots of voices you know, at the dining room table at, at um you know in these um, farming communities and these farming households that say we're motivated and want to support that shift then you go to the neighbors and the neighbors are like, wait a second so um I can lots of times they're saying can you put it on mine as well right? would you be able to put it you know another project here And so those conversations are actively happening or at, at, at the minimum we'll talk to agricultural groups we'll be involved in newsletters and we'll let the the balance of that community know that, This is being built in your community and you too have an opportunity to subscribe and achieve benefits, even if you don't, even if you didn't co-locate that on your property.
0: What kind of crops, you know, are good to grow with solar farms? Um, Because this is another issue, you know, because my understanding is that it's not necessary to take the land out of production when you put a solar farm on it. But uh, so tell us about that. Well,
1: I'll give you an example because I, I, I won't um, profess to be Markham the uh, ultimate ex- expert on cakes, but um, there are um, projects here in the Massachusetts that are going on uh, on top of blueberry farms, for instance, and that uh, little element of additional sort of shade and coverage has proven to be quite um, quite helpful uh, in the bounty ultimately that's produced, and so that's a a good example. There have been some experimentation on cranberry bogs uh, and I'm going to get, I'm giving you a bit of a Massachusetts angle on it where we're seeing some of that. (laughs) Um, And that's, uh, those are a couple of good examples where they've seen a, an increase in the productivity of the land as a consequence of some of that protection slash, um, um, you know, rendered by the, the solar canopies themselves. Do you have any grain farming examples? I I don't, but I'm sure I could get one for you from a couple of our partners. Um, I could probably get some of those for you now. I'll follow up. I don't have that handy. So
0: what are some of the, I think I asked this, but I, I don't think uh, we actually got into it. And the, the community organizations that are interested in this, like I could see that uh, condominiums, you know, for example, we we're a partner We're uh, our house is in part of a, a condominium a strata, they call them here in British Columbia. And I can see that might be, you know, of interest. And a lot of times the condominiums are next or very close to commercial development, like big malls and what have you, which you would think would be uh, a got a lot of, a lot of rooftop space and B uh, you've got a fair amount of demand. And uh, is that the kind of development work that we're talking about?
1: Um, that's a great example of bringing a solar option to someone that couldn't otherwise get it. Right. That's an excellent example of that. Um, but we are also, you know, so whether you're a condo owner, but you don't necessarily have the ability to direct the development of a rooftop unit, for instance, that would be the condo association. That's a great example of that, but also where it's, not an owned condo, but uh, you know, apartment units. That's a great example um, and where you have renters. But also individual households, lots of individual households, right, and small businesses, they may be um, you can be a renter of a house, you can be an owner of a house. You can be a tenant of a building, and you could own the building uh, that you uh, have for uh, for a business. But in many of those cases, they may not want to make that investment. They may be focused on their primary core business and just simply want to participate and generate the savings. And this creates a whole wide swath. I I sometimes give this example, and maybe this will be helpful, Um, you know, Uber, right? We all know Uber, the, you know, the car sharing service, right? Think of community solar as the community solar sharing service, right? You don't have to, in Uber, in the case of Uber, I don't have to get the car. Now, I know lots of folks in your communities who have cars. I got it. But if you didn't, in some of the other communities, you don't have to get the, you don't have to buy the car in order to get the ride. In this case, you don't have to buy or invest in the community solar on your rooftop in order to get the benefits of clean energy generation and the savings.
0: Energy Energy. as a service, solar as a service.
1: Solar, a bit of solar as a service, right? And you have a shared cost in that development. And now people look at that and say, that's actually a really smart way to do it. We can, we can, this can host, this can host a hundred, a hundred or a thousand customers as opposed to just serving one. And people are like, that actually makes a lot of sense.
0: Bruce, how uh, developed is this community solar model? And look out into the future for us a little bit, two years, five years, 10 years down the road. What do you see uh, for the growth of this model? You bet.
1: So, um, you know, maybe expressed in sort of geeky, you know, electricity terms, it's, you know, community solar today in the U.S. is over five gigawatts uh, on a path to double and triple over the next, you know, sort of five-year cycle, depending on which, you know, which forecast you look at. But what wood, wood, um, wood Mac, uh, Mackenzie is sort of a good example of one that gives you a good growth curve for that development. Um, and you look at state you know, in the U.S. anyway, state by state, and ultimately perhaps this could be province by province in in Canada, but state by state, um, local state legislatures are looking at this and saying, let's make sure we create a new opportunity for additional clean energy generation through these smaller format community solar projects that a broader cross-section of folks can benefit from and subscribe and help create and invest. The companies that are building these are, are... are uh, private companies. Um, they are are using investors' dollars to build this, so it isn't necessarily <clears throat> all utility-related uh, money, right? Uh, for generation passed on to, you know, utility ratepayers. Um, so there's an opportunity to basically get additional clean generation in the market through privately financed uh, businesses, and then bringing more customers to the party, bringing a, a broader cross section of businesses and residential customers. Renters and homeowners and business owners to the party.
0: Well, Bruce, this is this is uh, very interesting, quite fascinating. And I'm very curious to see how it plays out. I know in my own area, uh the city of Parksville is part of the Nanaimo regional district government, something like that. And anyway, they're they're take undertaking a, a sort of a renewable energy survey and and putting together a strategy. And I, I'm going to be interviewing them at some point in the near future and and I, I'll be sure to ask them uh, what their views are on solar, community solar, and how much support there is for it. What's the likelihood of it being introduced here? My my take on this for Western Canada, we don't do a lot in in eastern Canada. My take on Western Canada is we don't know much about it. It it's it's in its i think it'd be generous to say it's in its infancy yeah. is that is that the case in the u.s like you're on the eastern seaboard so sure. I, i'm assuming that you do mostly northeastern uh, states I, is it in its infancy or is there you know people are already reasonably well educated about solar they understand its, its benefits even if they don't have the technical details and and there's a you know a, a considerable demand, that's latent demand that you're tapping into? Yeah, it's a
1: great question. So it's not, it's definitely not in its infancy. Um, So community solar has been around for, you know, a handful of years uh, when you, when you track back and some of the earlier projects were in the the late 2010s, so 17, 18 timeframe, Massachusetts was one of the early adopting markets. Um, But you now have, you know, well over 20 different states that have, some form of, of uh, community solar enabling legislation, which means at the end of the day that um, the different governing bodies are looking at additional ways to bring, you know, sustainable, you know, solar green, you know, generation to their states and to their communities. So it's got a lot of uh, um, momentum from that standpoint. Markets. So you've got on the on the West Coast, California just passed legislation last year, and should be going live you know, in the 2024 and scaling in 25 and beyond. So California just, which has got lots of rooftop, also sees this already as a great way to bring more clean energy generation to the state. Um, That's one of the newest ones. So one of the biggest economies and biggest markets is brand new to this. So that would be in its infancy, but it's following a Colorado that's already been there in a mature market, following an Oregon on the West Coast, it's a mature market. New Mexico that just enabled this uh, in, um, in, in the Mexico market. And then you come a little bit uh, closer to the center of the US, you've got Minnesota, um, that's been a long uh, time practitioner. Illinois is up and running, already got over 200 megawatts of capacity sort of built. Come further um, to the east, then you start with the or some of the earlier markets of, of, um, of Massachusetts and New York. New York is full gangbusters on the build out. And to your point, um, there's lots of upstate sort of agricultural communities in New York as well that are that are being well served by this, not just in the Con Ed New York City area because of natural space constraints. So um, those markets, Maine as well, which is a mix of, of both uh, of, of uh, suburban, rural, and agricultural. Then you go to Virginia, uh, New Jersey, Maryland, Delaware. So all of those markets. So that's, it's got a quite quite a cross section.
0: Maybe we'll close out the interview with this question, Bruce. How important is a, a well-designed regulatory framework to the successful implementation of community solar? Excellent question, and it, it's it's critical. And so I think as you
1: learn about how these programs at a state level administered, you know, and and the coordination with the local utilities, when you look at what works and what doesn't work, um, we're seeing we're seeing that the newer programs that are coming in place are learning from the best practices of the prior ones, right? So being able to put everything on, you know, one utility bill is a great example, creating transfer of data, you know, uh, electricity consumption data between us and the utility, really, really important. So those rules make a ton of difference, right? And make a big impact in in the ability for customers to get it, customers to sign up, and for us to deliver, you know, the savings proposition and and build more projects.
0: Well, Bruce, it was a fascinating conversation. I uh, really appreciate uh, your insights. Thank you very much.
1: Markham, thank you very much. Really appreciate you having me. Have a great rest of the day.